Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. When I was just a little guy, I remember I had this deep fascination with all things outer space. Uh, I, I, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I really uh, wanted to be an astronaut. I mean, I really did. I, and, and not just like, you know, I want to be a fireman or a policeman or whatever. I really wanted to be an astronaut. And so part of that revolved around uh, just this fascination with the sky. My grandparents had gone to Cape Canaveral a few times. They would go down from Indiana to Florida on these trips and they would bring back little astronaut, you know, dolls and models. They'd bring back books. They'd bring back things. I built science fiction type things. I was really caught up into all of that. I was only five years old when Neil Armstrong, uh, you know, the first man to land on the moon did that, made that moon landing. And I was just really caught up with the thought of traveling, of actual space. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to go be a test pilot, wanted to pursue all that. I didn't have the eyesight for it. And so I didn't go into the air force, didn't, didn't pursue that, but I loved it. In fact, even with television, you know, anything to do with space, uh, Star Trek, even like Space 1999 or Lost in Space, as horrible as that was, I just got caught up into all that stuff because I kept looking out at the skies, the stars, the moon, and I, I knew there was some, something out there. In fact, my parents got me a telescope one year, and remember that, Mom? It was just a telescope, and I was just looking at the moon and the, the stars. They had a little filter. You could see the sun, and it was really cool, and I just thought... One day, I want to know more about that. I want to see more of that. Well, and then lo and behold, I became a follower of Jesus Christ and I opened up the Bible and I was completely taken by this passage. I was blown away. This is what David says in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, I already knew that. There was already a fascination in my heart, in my mind, with the heavens. And I knew that there was something speaking to me. There was something out there. And it wasn't a little silver guy in a suit. It was a big God. I didn't understand that. But then I come to Jesus and it makes sense. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So what David is saying here in Psalm 19, which we're going to look at this weekend, is that there is a message in the stars. There is a message in the sky. 
There's a message in the trees. There's a message in the mountains. There's a message in the birds. There is a message for each one of us that God is speaking to us from the very creation itself. God is whispering to you and to me that he exists and that he loves us, that he's here. And we are not on our own. We have not been left on our own. We don't have to make it through life on our own. We don't have to make a life of our own, but that God has made a life for us. And if we will listen tonight to his voice, we will hear it. We will see it. Now, I, I, I did continue to get caught up into all things in the stars. And so for years, I followed uh, the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, if, you, if you can go there at spacetelescope.org, you can look at all these pictures. I want to show you a dozen or so pictures of the heavens declaring the glory of God. These are shots taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. And uh, this is uh, a spiral galaxy uh, in GC 1300. Now, this is not a science fiction Photoshop job here. That is not some 3D representation that belongs in a movie. This is real. And this is out there. And this speaks to us. Look at this next spiral galaxy. I love the beauty and the colors of this one in GC 1512. Um, it just, you know, it's just, it's just amazing to see the, the color and the swirl. It looks like a pancake, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of these things relate to food to me. Uh, the next one here, this next spiral galaxy. I love just the beauty of how this works this way. A, l- a little bit like our Milky Way galaxy in shape, uh, M81 here. Uh, this one is really great. I was showing this to the pastors this week, and Pastor Rudy said, that's my favorite. Um, because he's Hispanic. Uh, uh, Sombrero Galaxy, M104. I love that. Uh, there's an infrared picture of this you can see, and it's just brilliant. Got this beautiful pink, deep red color. It is gorgeous. But that is out there. And that gaseous middle there is the brilliance of the center of that galaxy. And this right here is a cluster of galaxies. This, th- think about this. This blows my mind. First of all, we live on a planet, okay? And that planet is in a solar system, massive. And that solar system is inside a galaxy. Well, th- these are thousands of galaxies right here that the Hubble Space Telescope aimed its camera to and took this picture. This has been here since the creation, speaking to us, although we haven't been able to see it with the naked eye. Then you get into nebula, nebula-like, gas-like areas, uh, remains of stars, remains of creation of stars. This is the Eagle Nebula. Uh, this is actually called the Pillars of Creation, they call it. And uh, just beautiful, it's just out there. Or this nebula right here. The Carina Nebula, just the beauty of the color and, and what's emanating out of that. This one, though, I like this. This is the Helix Galaxy. And the Helix Galaxy, I like it because of the colors. It looks like an eye. But if you get close up, they have a close-up picture of this area right here. Take a look at this next picture. It's like a painting. It's just like a beautiful painting that God has taken his art brush into outer space. And he's just done it for you and for me. And again... This has existed since the dawn of time, since the very creation. And we are just now seeing this. So not just as the moon and the sky and the the twinkling stars out there declare the glory of God. This has been declaring God's glory since the moment he created everything. And we are only just beginning to see it. Uh, This butterfly nebula is kind of fun, kind of cool, the way it all works its way out. But this one, they just call this the galactic core, this next one. I like it. I don't know what that looks like to you, but it looks like a cross to me. Uh, that's kind of cool. And um, now, but this, this is my favorite. This will be a little hard to see. I'll show you some close-ups. This is the ultra deep 
field. What, what this is, is this is NASA, ESA, the European Space Agency as well. This is our furthest photo that we've ever been able to take. Now, the Hubble Space Telescope pointed itself in a direction that it hadn't been pointed before and began taking a picture. Now, the way it worked, it took 400 orbits to get this picture. The exposure time, the exposure time was 11.3 days. That's how long exposing itself to this to get this picture over 400 orbits around the earth and it got this picture. Now, if you were to take a straw that's eight feet long and you were to look through that eight foot straw, not the McDonald's big milkshake straws, I'm talking the regular straws, right? You were to look through that. That is what you would be seeing there. What they saw was tens of thousands of galaxies that are out there and they're crying out God's existence. Here are a couple close-ups. Uh, as they zoomed in, they were able to see this. There's a lot of noise in this picture because it's so far away. But each of these are just galaxies. Galaxies, my friends. Not solar systems, not planets, not stars, but galaxies. Collections of stars and solar systems put together all over. Look at this one right here. Now, uh, not long after this came out, uh, the, the comic strip Opus uh, did a strip on this. And I loved it so much I bought it. And I, I, hang, I hang it in my office at home. Uh, Opus says, I love these summer evening reality checks from Oliver. Hold out a speck of sand at arm's length. That's the portion of the night sky at which they pointed the Hubble telescope for a week. It was there deep within that dot of dark nothingness. Ten billion light years distance. They found the unexpected. Galaxies, thousands and thousands with billions of stars and trillions of new worlds and beyond those more. All in the space of a single grain of sand in the vast beach of the cosmos. Which nicely frames the question man has been asking for millennia. What question? What's the center of it all? Me. Me, baby. Me. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's not me and it's not you. The center of all of it is God himself. The focal point of all creation is pointing to God because God is using all of creation to point back to your heart and to my heart. Let's go back to that text. I get caught up in these pictures. You could just see this. You could just scan. You can get lost for days on spacetelescope.org and you could look at these. You can download high resolution images of these. They're free. We, oh, actually, we pay for them with our government funds. A number of years ago, uh, they were curious you know, about the budget and they were wondering if they were going to be able to continue the Hubble. And I'm thinking churches ought to pay for this because this is declaring the glory of God. This is gorgeous. Look at this. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, Hebrew poetry is not like our poetry today, our music. It's not about rhyming. It's about uh, the way the words, the letters, the sentences are phrased and put together. And a key aspect of the poetry in the book of Psalms is uh, a form of parallelism. And what happens is the author makes a statement. And then the author comes back and repeats the statement. Maybe he does it forward. Oftentimes he does it backwards. It's really cool if you watch. He'll say something and it's, it's technically called an A, a B, and a C. And then he says C, a B, and an A. And it's kind of cool because they're making this beautiful poetry here. This is what David is saying. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are speaking about God's glory. Now you imagine David 
Um, at his time, he would have seen a whole lot more than, than we see, right? Because of our noise pollution. If you've ever been to uh, a faraway place, uh, you know, I, I, I go to East Africa. I see the Milky Way when I go there. It's amazing. I can't see it here. Maybe if you go to Central Oregon or John Day or something like that, you might be able to see it or up in Alaska. Uh, but we don't get to see what even our parents or grandparents saw because of our light pollution. Now imagine David standing there, penning these words, the heavens are whispering and shouting and speaking about God's glory. And then he says the skies. So first of all, it's the heavens. This is this idea, this great expanse there when you see the night sky and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. God is actively involved in his creation. And all you have to do is look up at the sky to see it. For us, all we have to do is look up and see a mountain, Mount Hood, and we can see God's handiwork. We can see that. We can see the clouds. We see a whole lot of clouds. Um, We saw the sun today. Uh, We see birds. I was there uh, putting my my John Deere mower away, and I saw a nest, and I peered into that, and there were three beautiful oblong-shaped, just blue, bright, cobalt blue eggs. And they were just sitting there. It's like, there's a bird. There's a mama. This has been going on since the dawn of all creation. And it is gorgeous to see it. Got my picture up there. Got a picture, sent it to my wife. It's like, look at this. This is beautiful. This declares a designer, a creator. This tells us that it didn't just happen by accident. He goes on to say, day after day, they pour forth speech. They never give up. The skies never stop speaking about God. Night after night. So night after night, day after day, you see the parallelism. They display knowledge. And then he says, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Isn't that great? You don't have to learn another language to catch what the stars are saying. You know, when you're in East Africa and people over there where they would speak Swahili, they see the stars, they use their own words, but they say the same exact stuff that we say over here if we're using English. Because it's not about a language. The language is the language of God speaking to our hearts. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth Their words to the ends of the world. What David is saying here is what later on the Apostle Paul would say is that God is speaking to us by creation. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, just in this sliver of this argument Paul has about God's existence in verse 20, he says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Bottom line is, is that this is called uh, by theologians general revelation. That all of us are accountable for the general knowledge that God gives everyone in the world, no matter where they live, on this continent, on an island somewhere in the South Pacific. It doesn't matter. Everybody can look up and look around and see design. Everybody can see this proclamation that the world was meant to be. That that humanity is here. That it's not just an accident that it happened. We didn't force it to happen. We just show up. And we're born and it's all around us. And Paul says, everybody knows it. And so there's no excuse for not knowing God. 
uh, one of the uh, instrumental men, the scientists who originated the Goddard Space Center for NASA, he was frustrated as a believer in his colleagues who denied the existence of God because he said all around us is evidence of design. And he writes this at the very conclusion of his book, God and Astronomy. He says, for the scientists, God and the astronomers, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I'm not going to quote it all, just kind of paraphrase what Michael uh, Behe in his book, Darwin's Black Box, wrote back in the late 90s as a molecular biologist studying the cell. He said, once we unlocked the secrets and once we mapped and once we saw what we had never seen before, there should have been parties and champagne corks flying. But there was no party and there was no champagne cork because people were eyes down to their toes shuffling along because what they saw was a resounding design. A creator had put all this together. And on one side of the door is design that scientists dare not walk through because the back side of the door just might be God. And it's a great book. It's a great book. He came to faith because of this. And you think about this from the biggest, the stars to the smallest, the cell, the universe and the body declare there's a designer. There's a creator. That is general revelation that God is speaking to us by his works, by his very handiwork all around us. Now, then David, he switches gears a little bit in this and he kind of starts to talk about God's word. And it's not an accident. It's actually a really beautiful flow. Let's take a look at this. David then says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now he starts big with the stars, the moon, the space, the sky, all that stuff out there. And he says, all that speaks about God. Again, theologians call it general revelation. But that is not enough to have a personal relationship with that God. God has to reveal himself. He has to pull back the curtain on who he is and speak to us. And the Bible says that he's done that through his word, his very word. And that's called special revelation. And so David goes from big down to the Bible, okay? And he says, let's take a look at God's words. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now look at how he does this. Again, it's a form of parallelism where he makes a statement And then he kind of draws a conclusion to that. So the law of the Lord, all he's doing is taking a diamond and spinning it around and seeing the multifaceted aspects of the diamond as the light peers on different parts of it and sparkles off. He's just using varying words like the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands. He's using different synonyms to talk about God's word as we open it today, as we see it. God's word is perfect. God's statutes are trustworthy. God's precepts are right. His commands are radiant and they do something to us. They revive our soul. They make us wise. If you're simple, raise your hand. If you're simple, I'm simple. I need wisdom. They make us wise. They give joy to the heart. Raise your hand if you need joy in your heart. That's what God's word does to us. And they give light to the eyes. We all need that. 
He goes on even further to say these things. The fear of the Lord is pure. So by exposing ourselves to the words of God, the words of God expose us. By reading the Bible, the Bible reads us. By studying the scripture, the scripture studies us. And so now that we've had it open and we've seen it, now we come with deep reverence before God. Because this fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. He goes back now. The ordinance is another way to talk about the Bible. The commands of God. They're sure and altogether righteous. And then he says this. He uses two little pictures. He says, they're more precious than gold. Than much pure gold, the finest, the best gold. If you were to have all the wealth in the world, he says, you wouldn't have anything compared to having God's words. Because what God's words will do to you are greater than getting all the wealth in the world. They're like the purest, the finest gold. Not only that, he says, let's switch metaphors here. If your eye isn't attracted to gold, maybe your mouth is attracted to something sweet, right? Okay, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. I remember when I just started taking Josiah as, you know, my oldest at the time. He was five years old. I started taking him out once a week. And eventually the rest of the kids, you know, they just kind of jump in the car too. And so now I take all three boys out. But I remember starting each of them out when they were five with this thing. And I got it from this, you know, rabbis do this when they're teaching scripture. It's kind of an ancient thing. Ended up being kind of a goofy thing. My son didn't get it at all, but I thought it was cool. I took him out to IHOP and I poured honey on his finger. And I said, lick this honey off. May this be sweet, but never sweeter than God's words to your heart. It's like, that's what David is saying. That if you were to taste the sweetest honey, the purest, the most beautiful honey, it would pale in comparison to what God's word is all about. God's word is sweet to us. It's pure to us. It's precious to us. So in Psalm 19, just the last part here. By them is your servant warned. And keeping them there is great reward. All of these parts of the Bible have a purpose for you and for me. This special revelation, God is instructing us. God is showing us. God is revealing himself to the Bible. My friends, my friends, I hope hope you have a daily time in God's word. I hope you spend some time in God's word. Whether it's on the lighter side, like grabbing a daily bread from our foyer and having a verse and a little study. Or, you know, taking meteor sections and studying, you know, every month, maybe through Psalms or Proverbs or every year through the Bible or the New Testament. I hope you do that. I hope you do that because I know you do something else. You eat. I know that, right? We all do that. We eat. We probably eat three meals a day if we're good Americans. Five. Okay, right? Because we snack everything in between. We're quick to fill our physical bodies even when we are not hungry. Just because it's what we do as a custom. But what would it be like if we filled our spiritual bodies with the food and the nutrition of God's word? This is what David says here. It would radically transform us and change us. And then all of a sudden it would reveal the very truth of our heart. By them your servant is warned. And keeping them there is great reward. So David starts up with this beautiful picture that God speaks to us through creation, general revelation. Then he speaks to us through his word, a specific, you know, special revelation. And then David gets even deeper than that. Take a look at this. He says this, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Now, what David is going to do here is what C.S. Lewis did in his book, Mere Christianity, out of the gate. The first chapter, C.S. Lewis argues for not general revelation, 
And not special revelation, but moral revelation. Not just God's works out there and God's word that's been revealed to us, but God's will in our own hearts that all of us know there's a God. That all of the societies, all of the people know there's a right and wrong. There is a moral law stamped on our hearts. And although we may deviate, (laughs) I'm sorry, that was really gracious. Although we do deviate, right? Although we do go off the rails, although we do choose our own way, we all know this basic system of right and wrong for all time, for all places and all languages, all cultures. There's a basic set of moral values. Lewis argues it's because God stamped it on our heart. It's this specific personal revelation. David goes in, who can discern his errors? Who really knows what's going on in their life? Forgive my hidden faults. I love that. Uh, In a couple months, we're going to see Psalm 139 where David ends by saying, search me, oh God, search me. Because God, I need your spotlight searching through the depths and the darkness of my own soul. Because sometimes I don't even know what's going on. I don't know my motives. I don't know my reasons. Um, so even my, my hidden faults, God, expose me and lay me bare so that you can heal me. Keep your servant also from willful sins. So, so you know, just errors and, you know, hidden faults, but also from deliberate sins. May they not rule over me. Uh, moment of uh, transparency here. Uh, hi, my name is James and I'm a sinner. Okay, all right, sin. Anybody else in the room have a problem with sin? Raise your hand. And if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. So that's a sin, right? Okay, that's definitely a sin. And now everybody knows it because you didn't raise your hand. Okay, all right, we all struggle with sin, right? We all do that. And we willfully go off the rails and we go, I want that more than... God's word, God's ways, because it's tempting to us, right? And we just run to that thing for for comfort or for whatever, for satisfaction, for pleasure, and it woefully disappoints us. Keep us from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And I love this. This is this is memorizing worthy. This is like put this one down in your heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Isn't that beautiful? Think about this. May the words of my mouth. Here's this parallelism again. May the things that I say, what what comes out of me and what's really deep inside of me. Jesus says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So may my words and my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I mean, I I, I wish we could all pray this. I wish I could pray this every day that that's what goes on. That's my desire. That's my will. But the reality is we all stray far away from this. We all go our own way. To use David's first big picture, we all see the sky. We all see the stars. We all see the moon. And we, we see the planets now through telescopes. Isn't that crazy? David wrote about all this stuff and he didn't see what we see now. It's beautiful. All of that speaks about God and you and I just go like this and we hide our eye from that because we want to do what we want to do and we want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. That's just the truth about us. And then God speaks to us through this special work and he reveals his truth in the scripture. And, and if we're church going people, at least we have a Bible, right? 
And we have access to Bible, certainly. And we read it if we, if we take time to do that. But we don't really do what David said, which is soak ourselves so deep in it. Meditate on it to the point of it changing us. Maybe sometimes, but not all the time. I know we don't all the time do that. I'm your pastor and I don't do it all the time, right? But when we expose ourselves to it, it reveals the truth about us. And sometimes we go, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what my stomach wants to do. I want to do what my body wants to do, what my mind wants to do, what my mouth wants to do, right? And then David says, even deep in the depths of our heart, we all know there's a God. And he's speaking to us. That may, may our, our words and may our, our, our heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. This is kind of the summation. I, I, I was just captivated when I read Psalm 19 months ago to study for this. This is God speaking to you and to me. Look at this. The world around us, it says God is our creator. Uh, the word before us, God is our instructor. The witness within us, God is our redeemer. So our creator's general revelation, is, it's everywhere you see it. Uh, our creator's special revelation, it's, it's his own word he's given to us. But our creator's moral revelation, even if we don't even know that, we know inside that there's right and there's wrong. And God is whispering to us. And, and now we know, and so forever, when we see Mount Hood or we see the trees, we see the birds, we see the sky and the clouds, we see the stars, We see the sun, the moon, the planets. We see those things. They're speaking a message to us that there is a God and he loves us. And he has created all of this for his glory and and our enjoyment. I, I, I can't even fathom what's out in space. I can't even understand that because it's so far away that we'll never, ever, ever get there. And yet it's been there. Because that's our God. He's creative. He's colorful. He's beautiful. And he put all that there. And he knew that one day we'd get to see it through this silly little piece of glass and steel hovering around our little blue orb, right? And it's just been speaking. And it's been speaking. And now all of a sudden we see it. And I think that's an analogy for you and for me. That... It could be that the creation has been speaking. Maybe God's words have been speaking. Maybe God's will in us has been speaking. And we haven't even heard it. We didn't even know it was there. And all of a sudden, the light comes on one day. And all of a sudden, we hear it for the first time. That's God's word. That's God's way. That's God's heart for us. That he loves us. And he sent Jesus. You know what's so cool? David didn't know this. So you got something up on David. This is cool. Uh, later on in the book of Colossians, in the New Testament, this is so cool. This is what Paul says. David had no clue. This is great. I love it. David was cool, but he didn't know this. You and I know this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, check it out. God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Check it out. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not all about us. David didn't know the details of creation. And when we see in the very beginning of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was Jesus Christ 
connecting all the dots. And this is what I love. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. He holds it to the very atoms together. That there is this special way that he holds it together. Scientists, it's different ages. They've called it different things. Uh, when I was growing up, they called it some kind of a glue, a cosmic glue that holds everything together. They don't know what it is, but it just, everything just works. You know, everything should fly apart. Okay. But it just gets held together. And Paul said this nearly 2000 years ago, you know, who's holding it all together. It's Jesus himself. Jesus is holding all creation together and it's all about him. Now, our worlds may fly apart. That's for sure. Our lives may spin out of control. Skid along the ground, begin to burn up in the atmosphere, begin to disintegrate. Our worlds may crumble. Our hearts may be deep and heavy. Our lives may just be spinning into a whirlwind of activity. But Jesus, just like he holds all creation together, he wants to hold your world together and your life together. And he does that when we come to him and we bow before him and we confess him as our creator. And we just acknowledge that all that up there, that was a message just for us. And all that right there in his words, that's a message just for us. And all those things he whispers in our heart, that's a message just for us. That he exists and he loves us deeply. Would you pray with me? Creator God, uh, Heavenly Father, you speak through all of your works, through your written, written words, and you speak deep within our hearts. And your message is clear. You, you are there. You are there. And you love us deeply. Creator God, although we fail to see you, I, I failed to see you for years. And we ignore you. I ignored you for years. May we be filled with your awe and wonder of your creation and your beauty and the great lengths you've taken to speak to us, to speak deep into our souls. Creator God, I'm thankful that you didn't leave me just wandering around trying to figure it out. But you spoke and you spoke to many of us out here. You've spoken and you've called us to yourself. You didn't leave us on our own, but you drew us to yourself through words of love. And most of all, you showed up in Jesus, creator himself. God, examine us. Search us tonight. Warn us. Convict us. Draw us to yourself through Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.